Welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kitchens. I'm a plant-based registered dietitian and virtual nutrition mentor. I was raised on an Angus cattle farm, grew up with a lot of GI issues, and used the power of plant-based eating to promote healing. Here you'll find inspiration, ideas, and encouragement for your own plant-based journey. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. My name is Ashley. And I'm Katie. And today we are going to talk about the blue zones. Yay. And obviously (laughs) I was going to ask you if you've heard of them, but I know you have because you've been researching them. (laughs) But we wanted to talk about the blue zones because they are, there are a lot of incredible commonalities among these various regions throughout the, uh, throughout the world where people live to be incredibly long and they have low rates of chronic disease. So we're going to talk all about the blue zones, what they are and what some of these common lifestyle factors they have as part of their lifestyle. Yeah. So as, as we know, especially here in the U S chronic disease is a very common thing that we see, especially as we age. And even though genetics does play a role in our lifespan and in our susceptibility to various chronic diseases, what's also kind of good news is that your lifestyle possibly plays an even greater role. So today we're going to discuss pockets in the world, like I said, called these blue zones. And if you haven't heard this term, or maybe you have heard it and you're not quite sure what it means, it basically refers to these geographic areas throughout the world in which people have really low rates of chronic diseases. And then they also live longer than anywhere else in the world. And like I said before, we're going to talk about the commonalities of these people that live in these blue zones and why they live longer. So why do they call them the blue zones? Ooh, good question. (laughs) So the term blue zones was first used by an author named Dan Buettner, and we're going to link some of his books and some of his research findings in the show notes. So if you want to explore more, you can. So what Dan was doing, he was studying areas in the world where people live like have just longer lives. And when we say long lives, we mean people who are living to like a hundred years plus, which is incredible. So the term blue zone came about because when Dan Buettner and his colleagues were searching for these areas, they were basically like mapping everything out. They were using big blue circles to map out these (laughs) parts of the world where people live to be really long. And so that's where the blue zones name came from. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I thought they were just all eating blue food. (laughs) (laughs) So in Dan's book called the blue zones, which like I said, we've linked below, he describes five known areas. And these are the five areas, Icaria, Greece, Sardinia, Italy, Okinawa, Japan, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and the seventh day Adventists in Loma Linda, California. And so to kind of describe what each of these areas, what they sort of focus on, and then we'll talk about what they all have in common in Icaria, Greece, which is an island in Greece, people tend to eat a very Mediterranean rich diet. In Sardinia, Italy, what's neat about this area is that it's the home of some of the most oldest men in the world. And so they, they're living in mountains. They typically work on farms. They drink wine. And then in Okinawa, Japan, it's home to some of the world's oldest women. And as you can imagine, this is something that a lot of us plant-based people know they eat a lot of soy based foods. Cause one thing that we do know is soy is one of the most 
it's been around for a really long time. People have been eating it for centuries. And that is a big popular food group in Okinawa, Japan. And they practice meditation and Tai Chi and different forms of exercise. In the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, their diet is really based around beans and corn and tortillas. And they're also very physically active there. And then the Seventh-day Adventists, I don't know if you know this, Katie, but they are a very religious group of people and they are strict, typically strict vegetarians and live in really tight knit type communities. Okay. So we have one, one representative uh, population in the U.S. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> I didn't think we stood a chance, but we got one. <laughs> and what's really neat too, and if you ever listen to a podcast or anything um, with Dan Butner, he talks about how he's trying to set up cities in the U.S. to be more like blue zones. He's big into changing your environment and kind of setting yourself up for success that way. So he's a real visionary, which is really neat. Um, so those five locations throughout the U or throughout the world, those are the only areas discussed in Butner's book, but it's possible that there are other areas in the world that could also be blue zones. Those are just the ones that he actually studied. So Katie, can you guess what one of the biggest things that the blue zones have in common is? Hmm. <laughs> what do they all eat? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> they primarily eat a plant-based diet, typically 95% plus plant-based diet. And it's also very rich in carbohydrates, specifically complex carbohydrates. I thought carbs were the enemy. Oh, <laughs> Katie, <laughs> you're going to strike a nerve there. <laughs> so most groups, most of these groups that we talked about, those five regions, they aren't necessarily strict vegetarians or vegans. Some of them do tend to eat meat, maybe around five times per month, but it's a really small, small part of their diet. Their diet is heavily focused on plants and root vegetables and just a variety of uh, very colorful foods. So even to be even more specific, the blue zone diets are typically rich in vegetables, which are a great source of fiber. They're very rich. And this is something I remember when the blue zones are really started to be talked about was they're very rich in legumes, um, like beans, peas, lentils, chickpeas, which are full of fiber, protein, a lot of good stuff. Um, they're also rich in whole grains and nuts. So to kind of recap that vegetables, legumes, whole grains, nuts, and specifically legumes, those really tie all of these regions together. And I think from what you've told me there, a lot of them are kind of in smaller communities. They're not very urban. They're not very kind of population dense. And mm -hmm. I'm imagining a lot of these foods are locally sourced and part of the, part of the farm life, which I'm sure has a, has a big thing to do with them choosing those types of foods. Mm -hmm. And I bet they're freshest and most delicious. Yep. <laughs> yep. In fact, a podcast I listened to today with Dan Butner in it, he talked about how a lot of these foods, you know, they're hand grinding wheat and they're hand making tortillas. So a lot of the foods that they're eating are handmade. They require a lot of physical effort. And he talked about that being something that was very successful in their longevity is that they're active. And we're going to talk mm -hmm. more about how active they actually are, because that, that plays a role and kind of ties them all together in living a longer life. So before we get into like the more specific commonalities of these regions, uh, Katie had brought up something that I thought was really important to say about how, well, Katie, you take it away. Cause you said it much more eloquently <laughs> than I can. I just think if you take away anything from this podcast, 
when it comes to this type of research, we can observe it and notate it and see how it can apply to us. We're not saying that this is the way to live or this is the not, this is not the way to live. We can kind of observe what these people are benefiting from and see how we can apply it to our own life. Because certainly so many factors, some of us may live in urban environments and we may, may not have access to some of this stuff. But I think the idea is that there's no what these people are doing. There's no real kind of crazy magic that they're doing. They're not drinking the fountain of youth. They're getting good sleep. They're moving. They're eating a lot of plants. So it's really about moderation. It's not about these kind of crazy extremes. So hopefully what you take away from this is that you listen to it, you see what you can apply to your own life and hopefully reap kind of the similar benefits that these, these uh, blue zone communities get to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause not only are they living to 90 plus or hundred plus, I mean, they're, they're still active at that exactly. age. Exactly. So I they're still a big difference. Yeah. They're yeah. still climbing the mountains. You know, they're not just sitting around that makes them all the more fascinating. Cause it's like, they're living active, you know, quote, healthy lives up until they pass away versus a lot of people that we know maybe aren't doing that. Right. Yeah. Where mental capacities start to deteriorate, mm. you know, mobility starts to deteriorate Yeah, and you know, that affects quality of life. So you, you may live to 90, but you may have spent the last 20 years fading. Yep. So many of us, we've seen loved ones go through that. And we're like, what can we do to try to do everything that we can to try yeah. to avoid that if possible? Yep. So we talked about diet and how there are certain commonalities that they all have in, in common. Uh, another thing that they have in common, and especially the Okinawans, is that they tend to follow this, what's called the quote, 80% rule, meaning that they stop eating when they're about 80% full. And this is something that is actually, I think, in the intuitive eating book, now that they think about it, they mm -hmm. talk about the Japanese wisdom and how they eat. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and this is the same with the intuitive eating book. It's like, we consider it less of a rule and just more of a lifestyle because it's just something that they do. They savor they, their meals. They obviously spend a lot of time prepping and cooking their meals. They eat slowly. They're enjoying their company. You know, if there's, cause more than likely they're eating with other people and a number of studies have shown that when you're eating slowly, that can help reduce hunger and increase feelings of fullness compared to like a lot of us do eat really, when we eat really rapidly, um, that signal to our brain takes a little while. And so we might eat past fullness. Yeah. I definitely used to struggle with that where I would be so stressed and so not literally starved, but I had a very stressful job and would just be so hungry that I would want it, you know, down the gullet as quickly as possible. No appreciation for the mm -hmm. prep or there is no time to be mindful about how does this food even taste? It was just, you know, get it in as quickly as possible. And in terms of fullness cues, when you eat that quickly, your body doesn't have time to catch up to tell you when you're full or not. It's very easy to go past or way past in my case, your point of fullness when eating that quickly. So I love that they are, maybe they don't call it this, but they're, 
you know, intuitive eaters, they're yeah. eating mindfully and that's mm-hmm. really tough for some people. So love that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So another thing they have in common too, kind of with that quote, 80% rule is they, some of the groups do fast every once in a while and whether it's for religious reasons or just part of their lifestyle, they're not eating around the clock. And I think it's important to note too, is similar to what we talked about it, they are like intuitive. So it's not like they're trying to ignore their hunger cues and follow these like strict guidelines when it comes to fasting, they're doing it because they're heavily involved in a religious practice or it's just part of their lifestyle in general. So I thought that was a a good point to bring up as well. I don't picture them saying like, okay, I'm not going to eat between, you know, 2 PM and 10 PM. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It may be to the point where they're realizing they're not hungry. And so when they're not hungry, they choose not to eat. So they're not following these kind of human constructs of breakfast, lunch, dinner at eight, 12, five. Uh, they're really tuning into their body, which I think is, is fantastic. Yep. Agreed. So another thing that they have in common is they, and I say they, because it's not like, not every region does this, but they consume alcohol in moderation. So I do want to note that with this piece of information, that there is a lot of mixed evidence about alcohol consumption, whether it's in moderation or even smaller than moderation. Um, Many studies have shown that drinking one or two alcoholic drinks a day can reduce mortality. But then you have other studies that show it can increase your risk for cancer. And then you have other studies showing that there's no real effect in the Icarian and Sardinian blue zones. As you can imagine, you know, a glass of two of red wine is fairly common. And in Sardinia, the wine is actually made from, if I pronounce this wrong, I'm sorry, Grenache grapes, which has been shown to have extremely high levels of antioxidants compared to various other wines. And so it's, it's, as you can imagine, just part of their culture, part of what they do. Um, and like I said, it's not in every region, but some region regions just, uh, drink alcohol more than others. And when I say more, it's still in moderation. (laughs) So another thing that they have in common is that we've been talking a lot about what they eat and what they drink, but something else that they have in common is that exercise is an important part of their lifestyle and it factors into their aging process. Well, I wonder what gym they go to, (laughs) right? I'm going to go hang out with them. I know. Let's get a membership. Yeah. (laughs) So in the blue zones, people, they don't actually go to like a physical gym, like you and I would, which is obviously very common here in the States, but instead it's just built into their daily lives. Like we talked about, they're making a lot of their own food, they're gardening, they're walking, they're hiking, they're farming, they're cooking, doing daily chores. So they're naturally just active really a big part of the day, which helps them live longer. You have men in Sardinia. This is that the home to the, the oldest men who are raising farm animals. You know, they're on these like steep slopes, mountainsides, and they're walking really long distances. And there have been studies showing the benefits of exercise and reducing your risk of cancer, heart disease, overall death, and being tied to longevity. We, we know, I mean, that's something that we work on with our clients is it is integrating some form of movement that feels good. That feels aligned, something that they can sustain potentially for a long time. And that's what a lot of these regions are are doing. It's, it's just part of their lifestyle really until the day they die. Some of us don't have that 
privilege to, you know, be working on the mountains or working in the farms. And so we have to really make an effort to fit that in and see how to fit that in as seamlessly as possible to try to get movement in. And again, we try not to emphasize exercise, like where you have to go to the gym. Uh, It's really about movement and connecting with, you know, nature and connecting with your body and feeling movement in your body. Because I know I, you know, some days are pretty sedentary where I'm in front of the computer. If you go straight to the end of the day to in front of the couch uh, or in front of the TV on the couch, it's like, oh my gosh, I really didn't, I didn't go outside that much. I didn't really move my body. And so that can become habitual so quickly. That's That's one of the great, one of the many things that we talk about with our clients and hopefully to help them try to incorporate that, uh, is as easily as possible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like we, we talked about, it's built into their daily life, like walking, climbing stairs. And again, they talk about walking Katie a lot in here. Mm -hmm. And I think that just emphasizes that don't underestimate the power of walking. Cause that can play a big role walking. It should not be undermined. It can be a great part of your lifestyle. You don't have to go into the gym to, and be you know, lifting weights or taking like a hit training class. You can take daily walks. Yes. Low impact. Yep. Uh, doesn't require a lot of equipment. You don't need a gym membership. I got a shout out to my Oh my gosh. I think she's 93, my, um, maternal grandmother. And she used to walk, uh, with her like old lady friends. Uh, sorry. Didn't mean to call you old grandma, but for many, many, many years, I think she started when, you know, she was maybe in her forties or something. Uh, and they would walk like five miles every morning. They would get up at like 5am and walk their little, you know, five miles in their little track suits, but she's 94 and she's mentally there. Uh, she has a few kind of health issues, but she is, super independent, super strong, uh, and, and kind of full of vitality. So I think there's definitely something to that. I hope I got all your genes, grandma. (laughs) Well, she's got vitality. You've definitely got some (laughs) genes. Another thing they have in common, and I actually found this incredibly interesting, Katie, is that they all get enough sleep. They all get adequate sleep. They get sufficient sleep. So in addition to diet and exercise, sleep is something that Dan Butner found that they all have in common, that a good night's rest is prioritized and is possibly contributing to them leave, leading long, healthy lives. So not... and. <laughs> Found this interesting because Katie, are you a napper? Oh, do you really? Yes, I do. (laughs) So I'm I'm not a napper. I may nap maybe (laughs) once or twice a year. Um, but in the blue zones, not only do they get adequate sleep, but some of the regions, especially in Icaria and Sardinia, they usually take what's called a quote siesta. Um, and it's usually about 30 minutes or less. They actually specified that that it's not more than 30 minutes, it's actually less than 30 minutes. And a large analysis of 35 studies found that, and we'll link this study below seven hours of sleep was the optimal sleep duration. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Cause I like to sleep. more or less. Yeah. More. <laughs> so sleeping a lot more and also sleeping a lot less than that seven hours was associated with an increased risk of death. And I typically hear like seven to nine hours Mm -hmm. is like appropriate, but it's, it's kind of hard to say. So I think, well, and this was actually also noted is that in the blue zones, 
people do again, what sounds to me like in, intuitive sleeping. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They don't, they don't have to go to bed at a certain hour. They don't have to wake up at a certain hour. They actually listen to their body and sleep as much as their body tells them to. So when they wake up in the morning, you know, first thing they they're up, you know, they don't like maybe doze or stay in bed. So I found that really fascinating. I think that I think we need to, um, uh, do a podcast on that. I know <laughs> intuitive eating, intuitive, uh, sleeping. intuitive sleeping. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so Ashley knows I'm not, I'm not a good sleeper. So maybe that's why I tend to nap more. Right. So I know when I get the best sleep is when I have moved my body, when I am eating well, and when I am maybe not controlling the amount of stress, cause we can't always control that. Right. But I'm coping mm-hmm. with stress in kind of a healthy way. And I'm actually working with another client that struggles with kind of the same thing. And we're talking about setting up our bedroom, uh, our sleep environment. So it is conducive to a good night's sleep. Ashley's a big, uh, eye mask person. Yep. I like blackout, uh, curtains. Do you like the AS? ASMR? Do you like a noise machine? Are you putting, you know, are you on your phone all night? Those types of things. So sleep, I think is one of those things that maybe not easy, but maybe a simple change where you can really take that effort to, you know, set up your environment. So you do get a good night's sleep where you're waking up and you're starting your day fresh, as opposed to being like, Oh, I don't want to get out of bed. I mean, that's really a, that's a hard thing to get over, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, throughout the day, if you're already starting, you know, kind of behind the eight ball. So yeah, I don't think I, I don't take this part of these studies lightly because, uh, I definitely think it has to do with having us, you know, kind of be at our best Mm -hmm. uh, for as long as we can. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So a few other things that they have in common, we'll run through these kind of quickly is they typically are religious communities. So these five areas specifically tend to have a pretty strong religious tie. So that was a big thing that they had in common. And part of that is to like having a strong social network. And one thing that these communities in particular have in common is that there's a strong sense of community in all of these communities, which I thought was really, really fascinating because Dan Butner, one of the podcasts I listened to on him, he talks about how I, I, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is still accurate because this was like back in 2019 when he was talking about this, that Americans went from having like maybe three close friends to now having less than two yes. close friends yes. um, and how there's like this kind of like an epidemic of loneliness. Yes. And in these communities that doesn't really exist. They have a really strong community, a really strong bond. Often families are living together or they live very closely together, or they're going to these, you know, religious or spiritual type events fairly often. So I found that really fascinating because he also talked about how people in the U S are getting more away from religion. And he said that that's kind of the opposite in these communities where it's a big, strong part of their culture. Yeah. And I think especially these days, you know, organized religion looks a lot different than it did, you know, many years ago. And it probably looks totally different in some of these communities, but I think it's about connection. It's about Mm -hmm. not isolating. And I think, especially I can just speak for Americans where, you know, we have the introduction to social media and then we have COVID where it's, 
it's very, you're on your own a lot. And that can be, you know, that can be really hard for some people. I mean, some people kind of relish in that, you know, there's certainly, we talk about introverts and extroverts, but in terms of connection, you want to, you know, share the load sometimes and be able to, you know, see someone face to face and be like, how are you? You know, I'm here for you. Do you need help? Uh, You know, what do you do if you are struggling? So, you know, uh, those, I think those communities uh, give you kind of a built-in support when you are struggling. And if you don't have that, especially year after year, after year, after year, I mean, that definitely, that must take a toll. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, and I think we can put a link in, I'm a big fan of, uh, Johan Hari where that talks about, uh, again, kind of an epidemic of loneliness and talks about, talks about people with addiction issues a lot. And that's Mm. the opposite of, uh, addiction is not sobriety. It's connection, which I always find so fascinating when I hear him speak, uh, so we may put that, that link in yeah, as well. Wow. So yeah, that connection is super, super powerful. Mm-hmm. It really is. And along those lines too, another thing that tied them all together is them having a sense of purpose and a sense of life purpose. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part that again, tied them all together. So whether you're a young lad or whether you're in your nineties or in your one hundreds, everyone has some sense of purpose yeah. in the, in the group dynamic. Yeah. And so if you think about all these things being connected, let's say you have, you know, a young person and they're eating, you know, things that don't nourish them or don't make them feel good and they're isolated and they don't, so that they're lonely. So maybe they're staying up all night and being stressed about that, therefore being isolated, not moving their body. I mean, you can see how it can, you know, snowball very quickly. What Ashley and I are always saying is kind of, you know, just take one step, you know, can I sleep better Mm -hmm. tonight? Can I add some greens in my smoothie? Can I reach out to a friend, start a book club? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's exactly what Dan talks about is like book club. (laughs) I mean, you don't ask me twice. I love reading, (laughs) but that's a good point. Cause one thing Dan talked about too, is that a lot of these things may seem really far out of reach to you with what a lot of these blue zone people, what a lot of the communities are doing. And so what's maybe one thing that you can focus on or how can you set up your environment so that maybe you're, you're doing some of these things or emulating some of these things that the blue zone people are doing, which I found really fascinating because it can feel really overwhelming when you're hearing like, okay, seven hours of sleep, plant-based diet, eating, you know, exercising regularly. You're like, okay, well, I can't do all of those things right now. I live a really stressful life or I'm commuting, you know, long hours to work, whatever it is. Maybe what's one thing that you can do. Again, we talk about taking baby steps because baby steps add up. What's one thing that you maybe could take away from this list of things that ties all these communities together that could add value to your life and potentially lengthen your life? Yes. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So even though these blue zones have slightly varying lifestyles, the great thing is, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to highlight them is that they eat mostly plant-based. Like we said, about a 95% plus plant-based diet, and it's very rich in carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates. They exercise regularly. So they're moving their body throughout the day. They drink moderate amount of alcohol, which we talked about the controversy there. And then they also get enough sleep and they get a good night's sleep. And then they have that sense of community and sense of purpose, which again, ties them all together. And by incorporating some of these behaviors into your lifestyle, it, like we said, may be possible for you to add a few years to your life. Or if not, like Katie had mentioned earlier, 
I think it's hard, especially when a lot of us see people getting older and aging, and I'm yeah. sure that you've experienced as I know I have a aging process does not look good. Mm-hmm. It actually not looking forward to it. No. At all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so in these communities, it's, it's almost the opposite. Like we talked about, you know, they're still moving their bodies. They're still a part of their community. They still have that sense of purpose, which I think is, is pretty fascinating. So like we said, for more information or more resources. We included a host of those listed in the show notes. You're more than welcome to check those out if you want to learn more about the blue zones. And there's some great books too. So if you don't want to necessarily buy a book, you can always go to your local library and check one out or rent one online. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you know where to find us, Plant Centered Nutrition, Plant Centered Katie. We love to hear from you. Thanks guys. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye thank you so much for listening to the plant-centered and thriving podcast today if you found this episode inspiring please share it with a friend or post it on social media and tag me so i can personally say thank you until next time keep thriving